Okay, over these last three Sundays of June, I thought we'd take a little bit of a change of pace and look at something a bit different from our usual fare of uh, uh, looking at the Bible. We're still looking at the Bible, but we're just doing it in a slightly different way. Uh, the title I have for this miniseries is Mindset. And we are looking at the war that is waged within our own minds. And I think this is really quite relevant and important to us, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. It's the way we think that's important, right? It's, it's how we think about ourselves. It's how we think about the world around us. And there's a battle that goes on there to think properly about these things. It's also the way that we feel, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about the world around us. It's also our motivation. What do we intend to do about ourselves and the world around us? Biblically speaking, when we talk about the mind, it's all of these capacities together. Our thinking capacity, our emotional capacity, our volitional, our will capacity to do something about it. And so it's so important to win the war of the mind if we're going to be uh, the kind of people that God is calling us to be in this place. And so that's what we want to look at because I think we face this inner battle daily. And it's this inner battle that we actually face uh, when everybody is gone, when we're about to sleep at night and we're waging war in our mind. Does anybody have arguments in your mind with people throughout the day, but not in person? We just do it before we go to bed. Now, you don't have to put up your hands, but if you're like me, you win all those battles, right? So, so we have to be careful, though. What we do in our private thoughts and how we manage our feelings as well and what we do with those. So that's what we want to look at. And the verse today that I want to focus on is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. I'll read it again. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's the word that Paul gives to us today. So I've been reading a book by Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor, author. Some of you might be familiar with that name. Uh, if you were at the men's breakfast, we showed a video from Craig. I'm always a little bit nervous about Craig. He, I never know whether he's going to you know, get me in trouble or tell me to get down and give five solid push-ups, which is all I can do right now. Um, so Craig's an interesting character, but he has this great book called Winning the War in Your Mind, and I've actually been really blessed by it and challenged by it. And he has this quote that really caught my attention. Here it is. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Think about that for a minute. Think about it. <laughs> That's what we want to engage our minds this morning. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so if our thoughts are very negative, if our thoughts are filled with bitterness, then we'll move in the direction of bitterness. If our thoughts are constantly filled with worry and anxiety and the fear of the worst case scenario, then our lives move in that direction. And conversely, if our thoughts are filled with the knowledge of God, with beauty, truth, and goodness, then our lives can move 
toward beauty, truth, and goodness. And this isn't just the power of positive thinking. This is the, the biblical narrative that unfolds for us when the Bible speaks a lot about the mind. It's a profound idea, this strong connection between what we think and how we behave in the world and the direction of our lives. And so it's important to win that battle first. So often we, we try and just change our behavior or change our, our life trajectory. And sometimes it's like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. You know that image, right? We need to deal with a core problem. And a lot of that problem has to do with our inner being, our inner person, and how we battle for that. I think we've seen this. This, this isn't news to you. I think most of you recognize this. Most of us acknowledge this kind of battle that goes on. But I think it's become more intense even the last couple of years. There's kind of this information warfare that takes place, certainly on social media, but even through mainstream media. Everywhere we turn, there's this battle to try and discern what's true, what's false, what's good, what's, what's healthy for us to digest. And so we have this kind of information warfare that we're in the middle of, and I think it's intensified, certainly over the pandemic season, but even politically now, Never mind political, it just, you open up Facebook and you've got all kinds of things screaming at you for attention. What's true? What's real? What's beautiful? What's good? And we have to discern this so that our minds are healthy. But it's not just kind of out there. It's not just the news media. This is a very personal thing, I think, for each and every one of us. Because here's the reality. Over the years of our lives, we accumulate a lot of thoughts about ourself. You realize that? And some of those thoughts we've been given by others who have said words to us that have maybe either damaged us or built us up. Sometimes it's a circumstance that we face. Sometimes it's, it's something else. And over the course of our lifetime, we accumulate thoughts about ourselves. And I want to say today that some of those thoughts are lies. That's the reality that we face. Here's another reality. We don't have to believe every thought we have. Do we realize that? Just because we have a thought in our head doesn't make it true. We don't have to believe every thought that we have, and we don't have to believe every thought that we have about ourselves. And so we're called to actually discern the truth, even in our thought lives, even, if the, even in the way that we think about ourselves. Because when we believe the lies, we end up becoming trapped by them. I read a story, and maybe you've heard the story too, about Harry Houdini. And I tried to verify it as I try and do for stories I share with sermon illustrations. I think this might be more mythical than true. It's been shared by so many preachers that it must be true, but I couldn't verify it. Here it is anyway because I think it illustrates what we're trying to get at. Harry Houdini, the great uh, magician, escape artist, when he rolled into town back in the day, sometimes what he would like to do is go to the local jail. And he'd gather a crowd, he'd go to the local jail, and he'd get the jailer to lock him in the jail. And then he had a time frame that he would, he would pledge, that he would escape. And he always escaped. He had lots of different uh, uh, tricks that he did in order to escape. But he always escaped, and everybody was like, wow. And then he was like, come see my show for more. You know, it's big publicity stunt that he would do. But apparently, according to legend, this one time, uh, the jailer thought he'd play a trick on Harry Houdini. And so as he went into the jail, 
The jailer made a great show of locking the door, but actually he left it unlocked. And so when Harry Houdini got whatever he had to manipulate the lock, what he didn't realize is that he was constantly locking himself in and he couldn't escape. He believed that the door was locked, but that thought was a lie. That thought was our faulty thinking. The door was actually open, and all he had to do was push it and go out. I think it's a good illustration for us of what we sometimes do with the lies that we believe about ourselves. We think that they're so true that they actually trap us, and they keep us from li living lives that are free, with the kind of freedom that God wants to give us. And so that's something that we have to wrestle with and battle with. We hear some lies. Some of you know them, and you can name them because you've explored this. Lies like, you know, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for this job. You're not good enough for the spouse. You're not good enough for whatever. That's a lie, but we hear it, and sometimes we actually believe it. Or you don't matter. I remember there was one uh, a man that I worked with in Richmond, B.C., and he would never come to communion because he always felt that he was undeserving, that he was just not good enough. And in that sense, it felt true to him, right? That he's the worst of all the sinners, so he shouldn't come. But in a sense, that's also a lie. That's a lie that's trapping him from experiencing part of God's grace because we come to communion in order to experience something and have a little taste, a touch, some kind of sensation to remind us that God is good to us and that he loves us. Sometimes we tell ourselves we're not lovable. And all the lies that we tell ourselves, we have to assess those things. They affect our identity. They cause insecurity. They trap us. They keep us from experiencing the kind of freedom that God wants us uh, to experience. But some of us have different kind of lies that we buy into. Lies like this. If only we had X, put something in there. If only we had that, our lives would be much more complete. If only I had hair again, I would be so much more believable. <laughs> it's a weird lie that I sometimes, actually my dreams, I do have hair and I comb it a lot. Anyway, but put something in the X. Or sometimes we say, if only I were more like so-and-so, then I could have a fulfilled life. Of course, advertisers know this, right? And they play on it. They play on that sense of trying to create a felt need within us, some kind of longing, some kind of sense of being unfulfilled, and then they offer us the solution. Remember the old uh, Ford uh, ads, maybe they're still out there, built Ford tough, you know, show all these manly men driving trucks around, and you're like, I need a truck <laughs> to be a manly man, and we don't, although I bought into that for a little while, and it was a Ford, so maybe it worked. Um, but that's what advertisers do, right? Or have you seen the ad for Corona beer, right? There's a, there's a beautiful beach setting, you can imagine it, and there's a couple of chairs, and the peaceful waves are flowing in, and there's a couple of bottles of Corona, and the ad says, find your beach, right? And you're like, yes, that's what I need right now, please. And there's just enough truth in it. There's just enough there that we go, if only I had that. I would be fulfilled. I remember watching a, an ad many years ago uh, with my oldest daughter, Triona, and she was very little. 
and she wasn't uh, really hadn't been exposed to a lot of advertising in, in the programs she watched. So she didn't have that kind of sales resistance. You know, we have to build up sales resistance so we don't you know, buy everything that we see that's advertised. She didn't have that. So we're sitting there and the program was interrupted with an ad and the ad was for a cat scratcher. It was really bizarre. Like what time of the day were we watching? It was like a big infomercial. You know, for $29.99, you can buy this one, but wait. If you buy now, we'll give you four others for all your other cats in the house. And I kind of tuned it out. I didn't listen. But then just as the ad was over in that little space of time before the program starts again, I hear Triona say this, we need that. (laughs) I'm like, Triona, we don't even have cats. Well, she needed it. (laughs) It had worked. It had created some kind of sense of lack within our being. And that's what advertisers do. And we have to be Careful and cautious of that. Well, of course, this is not new. In fact, when the Bible opens up and begins to tell us a story of Adam and Eve, we soon realize that Adam and Eve were tricked into believing the same thing. They were believing a lie. Think about it just for a moment. Adam and Eve had everything, absolutely everything they needed. They even had one another. They had a purpose in life. They had a job to do. They had direct communion with God. They had everything. And then the serpent comes along. And what does the serpent say? Has God really said? Just plants a thought in there. Has God really said? Cast doubt on God's word and God's promises. Are you really fulfilled? You know? And and this fruit, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. And they're like, well, what are we missing? We're not exactly like God. Aha! Let's eat the fruit. We can get it. And they fall for the oldest trick in the book, right? And there's a sense of false need within us, and we believe the lie. And so the battle for the mind has gone on ever since. That's the battle we face. How do we know what is true? How do we avoid the lies? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He draws that parallel. That's our battle. That's what we're facing. We have to be careful not to be deceived. So how do we win? (laughs) How do we wage war? How do we win this battle in the mind? How do we know what is true? Over the course of these three sermons, I want to give you a word each Sunday. And these words are actually inspired by the book I've been reading, Craig's book. And the first word is this, replace. Replace. Replace the lies with God's truth. That's what we need to do in order to win this battle. Replace the lies with God's truth. We need to assess and address faulty thinking and bring those thoughts captive to Jesus so that his truth might break through. Because ultimately, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And his truth will set us free. Well, in the passage that Noah read for us, which was great, uh, we saw a number of things. Uh, Paul is here defending his authority. He's defending his right to be an apostle. And Paul writes to this church in Corinth uh, in part to do this, to say, I have every right to speak to you in such a way and to demand certain things. But it's interesting, it's kind of funny in some ways how it opens up in that passage, uh, because apparently some people 
were claiming that Paul was a hypocrite. And they were claiming it this way. They're saying, Paul, when you write your letters, you act all tough. But when you show up in person, you're weak. You don't actually address us in person the way you address in letters. Have you ever seen the video of the two dogs separated by a gate and they're like fighting with one another and then the gate is removed and they just kind of stare. They stand there for a little bit and then they put the gate back and they fight with one another. That's the way it is on, on social media platforms too, right? We say things even through email and through social media that we'd never dare say to a person face to face. Well, that's what they're claiming here. They're saying, Paul, when you show up, you're actually kind of weak and you're a bit of a wimp, and you don't address us directly. And instead, you write these awful letters to try and pull us into line. What's up with that? And Paul's answer is basically like this. Don't make me come back there. That's basically what he says. Because <laughs> if I come back there, there will be words, and I won't hold back. <laughs> and so there's a bit of a battle there. And essentially, Paul is saying this. You guys have faulty thinking about me. You have faulty thinking about the way I behave, and you have faulty thinking about my authority. But whatever, I can deal with that. The deeper issue is this, that your faulty thinking about me shows that you also have faulty thinking about the gospel. You have faulty thinking about the truth about Jesus. It's a, bigger, it's a symptom of a bigger thing, that you're actually believing lies. And the lies, Paul calls them strongholds. This faulty thinking, these false arguments. Paul calls strongholds. And I wonder if Paul was thinking about ancient Israel. When Israel first crossed into the promised land, the goal was that they would take the land, that they would possess the whole land. What actually happened, and you might not realize this, is that they failed to take the high places and the strongholds. So essentially, Israel, they took some of the strongholds, but then they kind of settled. They settled for the valleys, they settled for the desert spaces, they settled for wherever it was the path of least resistance in a lot of ways. And by failing to deal with the strongholds, they were constantly in battle against their enemies rather than deal with them. And I, I wonder if Paul's picking up on this a little bit, saying that we need to deal with these strongholds in our mind so that we can win the battle, win the war ultimately. But we don't do it with actual weapons. <laughs> we don't do it with swords and armor, and those kind of things. But we do it with truth, and true thinking that comes uh, from Jesus. So sometimes I think in our lives, we have these lies that are like strongholds. But instead of dealing with them, we kind of work around them. <laughs> we settle, right? Uh, we, we find the path of least resistance. We become very comfortable with our dysfunction. Do you realize that dysfunction is actually very stable? Whatever our dysfunction is, and we could all probably name it, but when we live in dysfunctional relationships or we live in a dysfunctional way with our world, it actually feels very stable. We become used to it, even though it's not healthy. And Paul says we need to actually address some of this faulty thinking and deal with the strongholds if we're going to have true freedom. So Paul says you need to tear down these faulty arguments and bring them as captives to Jesus. Well, what were some of the faulty arguments? In Paul's day, there were a number of them. And I've mentioned some of them before. Let me mention briefly some of them right now. There were the legalists, of course. And the lie that the legalists said is that we need to keep the law in order to be accepted by God. 
And Paul said, that's false. That's not true. But you know, some of us still live that way today. Have you ever lived that way in the sense of, oh, I need something from God and I know I'm going to ask him. So for this next week, I'm going to really behave. I'm going to really, you know, watch my tongue. And so that when, when I ask God, I'll have greater favor with him. I know we won't say that out loud. We might not admit it, but we do it. It's a lie, and it actually perverts the gospel. It perverts God's grace. And we need to recognize it as a stronghold. The legalists among us still exist. And in Paul's day, he addressed them. There's also a group called the Gnostics. It comes from a word that means knowledge. And the Gnostics said, we need special knowledge to be truly spiritual. And they said a lot of other things too. I think that sometimes exists today. There are some people that elevate themselves because they're able to use a particular language or they've had a particular experience and they believe somehow that they've become super saints. And that's a lie. We are all equal before God. And we have one mediator, which is Jesus. And we come before him. And then there was a group of people, and I think this is what Paul is addressing in this passage, called the sophists. It's a word that comes from Greek wisdom. These are the philosophers. These are the people that like to stand up and spout a lot of clever words. And they were Paul's nemesis. Because it seems like when Paul actually appeared in person, maybe he was kind of short, I don't know. Maybe he was not very good speaking in public. He, he wasn't like one of these commanding orators that the sophists were. And so after Paul left, these guys would come in behind and start speaking and everybody would go, wow, they speak really well. What they're saying must be true. And they love to have all of these philosophies. But here is the lie that they were telling. The sophists said this, we don't need objective truth because morality is relative. So they countered all of Paul's arguments or tried to. And so Paul said, it's those arguments that we need to bring captive, those strongholds we need to tear down. Well, let me ask the question as we kind of wrap things up today. What are the strongholds in our lives today? And not just us personally, what are some of the strongholds that exist within the church? I think over time that I've heard a number of lies that have come even from the pulpit. This is kind of a funny one, but I remember hearing this specifically. This preacher stood up and he said, when we get to heaven, we will be given bodies that are 33 years old. Now, when I hear that today, I'm like, yes. But I was like 20 at the time, and I was like, no. Because 33 is old when you're 20, right? But he had a kind of logic to it. He figured that since Jesus died and rose again, he might have been about 33 years old. And maybe some of you have heard this Maybe some of you believe it, I'm not sure, but the idea was that if we're going to be like Jesus, we're all going to be 33. <laughs> ah, I'm not sure that that's the point of the gospel um, or even the point of heaven. So we have a number of lies. I have spoken lies, not from this pulpit, but by accident, at least one time. I was in Edinburgh, Scotland, and every Sunday we had to go down to this big free speech area right on Princess Street, if you've ever been to Edinburgh, Scotland, and we had to stand up and yell the love of God at people. It was not very effective, <laughs> but we did it every Sunday. And it was my turn to stand up, and I think I've told some of you this story before, and I yelled out to people, 
God loves you today more than he has ever loved you. And my principal took me aside afterwards and said, what kind of sentimental garbage was that? <laughs> God's love is constant. He doesn't love you more or less. It's not dependent on what you do. God's love isn't fickle. And I realized I just spouted a lie in trying to encourage people to come now to Jesus. And so we do have these kind of weird things that we believe in the church. But some of the lies we tell ourselves are actually more destructive. Maybe you can think about some of those today. I know that there's a lie that circulates sometimes within Christian people. The lie is this, attending church makes me a Christian. I love what um, the Alpha video series says. Uh, right at the beginning, it says, uh, attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than working at McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Right? It doesn't rub off. We don't get Christian by association. But it's a dangerous lie, and sometimes we behave that way. Sometimes we behave that a Christian is just saying the right words and showing up at the right places, and maybe wearing the right clothes or going through the right motions, and we don't realize that it's meant to be a heart transformation that results in discipleship. <laughs> Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow after me. The Bible tells us that, that we are meant to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved not attend church and be saved. And so it's a dangerous lie, isn't it? That we go through the motions, not realizing that we've never had a heart transformation. I wonder, are we believing that lie today? We, we are saved for a purpose. And that's the other lie that I find sometimes in the church is this. That sometimes we believe that the gospel is all about saving my soul and getting me to heaven. And it sounds right. And it almost is. Heaven is a reality, and heaven is the place that some of our friends and family, we have the assurance that they're with Jesus, and we call that heaven. But the great goal of the gospel isn't fire insurance. It's not meant to simply get us to heaven. For by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. But then the verse goes on to say something important. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're saved for a purpose. We're saved to do good. We're saved to bring God's kingdom in a sense in reality. And so this is another lie that can be dangerous. Here's a third lie, and I could go on. We could do this all day long. We won't. Here's just maybe a third that I've heard and maybe even heard recently. Your prayer wasn't answered because you didn't have enough faith. Have you ever heard that one? I prayed so hard for my dad to be healed when he had pancreatic cancer, and he wasn't. And, and that little lie crept in. No one said it to me, but I had heard it before. And it creeps in, and you're like, what did I do wrong? Did I not pray the right way? Did I not behave the week before I prayed? Did I not have enough faith? And it's a destructive, destructive lie. When we say that God doesn't answer our prayer, what we're really saying is God didn't say yes to my request. God might have answered our prayer and said, no. But we don't like to hear no from God, do we? And so this is a difficult lie that we have to overcome. Paul faced that challenge, the Apostle Paul. He, he had a thorn in his flesh, and it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul struggled with that too. He was a man of great faith, and yet he heard no from God. And so we have to be so careful to assess what's true. What are these lies? So, our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So the question is today, where are your thoughts taking you? Where are your thoughts taking you? We're called to tear down the strongholds of faulty thinking, to bring all of those arguments captive to the truth of Jesus so that he can replace our lies with his truth so that we might be free. Let's pray together. Father, it does seem that more than ever, we need your wisdom. The wisdom to discern what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, so that our minds might be filled with those things, so that we might move in the direction that you're calling us to. So Father, today, help us to be honest. Help us to recognize some of those lies that we believe about ourselves, some of those lies that we might even believe about your gospel. We pray that you would replace those lies with your truth. We want to be free, free to be the people you've called us to be, free to do good in this world. And we pray that you'd help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.